Thank you, ladies. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and uh, get them ready. I didn't tell you a passage yet, did I? Yeah, well, we'll get to it here in just a moment. We're dealing with back to the Bible or back to God series, and uh, we've dealt with so many topics. And uh, today I'm hoping to complete and finish up our back to separation. Uh, We've been dealing with that for a couple of weeks now, and hopefully today we'll finish that up. But uh, before we get started, I want to offer a simple warning when it comes to this issue. First of all, separation is not about keeping us from sinners or from those in need of Christ. That's so important to understand. A man once testified in one of D.L. Moody's meetings that he had lived on the Mount of Transfiguration for five years. And I think I shared this not too awfully long ago, but it fits so well. He said, how many souls did you lead to Christ last year? And Moody uh, looked at him, and the man kind of looked back at him and said, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. Have you saved any, Moody said. I don't know that I have, the man admitted. Well, said Moody, we don't want that kind of mountaintop experience. When a man gets up so high that he cannot reach down and save poor sinners, there's something wrong. That's pretty good. Uh, So, you know, the goal is not to separate from sinners. The goal is to be separated from sin, amen? And ultimately under the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful, we can become so heavenly minded that we become of no earthly value, I guess, to some degree. Now, I don't know if I really believe that, really, because obviously the more heavenly minded you get, the more conscious of sin and the needs of others that you become, too. So I guess that's kind of a stupid statement. I've heard it and I've even said it. So maybe right now I amend it and say, eh, dumb statement. Moving on. <clears throat> I don't think you can get too heavenly minded. If you're truly heavenly minded, scripturally minded, you never get out in touch with people. I mean, that's just a reality. This idea that you can be too spiritual is nuts. That's crazy. Uh, no, that, that just doesn't work. And I know, I know you have those extremes on those ends and somebody's just out there, you know, locking their kid in the closet and all that kind of stupid stuff, making them pray. And we go, well, see, they're just, no, that's not spiritual. That's just crazy. Okay. That's, that's not spiritual. All right. That they need some help. Uh, and I'm not trying to be mean when I say that. They legitimately need some help if they're doing those kind of things. So, no, nah, I guess maybe I was wrong. So anyway, I'm not going to take, I'm going to take that one. And I'm going to, let me see, let me cross that one off here. There, there we go. Though I'll have to take that out of the notes. All right, so from our first lesson, we learned that God is the author or originator of this concept of, of separation. Now, separation then is not a Baptist thing. It's a Bible thing. And that's an important truth to understand. And so throughout the Bible uh, and throughout history, there have been examples of this principle that have come to light. You know, we noted that early on, God divided the light from the darkness. And even to this day, there's that division. There's that separation. And we saw that he plainly marked Cain in an attempt to identify and distinguish him from others. We saw in preparation for the flood that God clearly differentiated between the clean and the unclean animals. We saw that he brought two of the unclean and seven of the clean. Why? Because ultimately he would have to, they would sacrifice the clean. God called out a people and he divided them out from among the other nations. Matter of fact, he required a physical mark of separation, which he called circumcision. God has forever been in the separation business. And that's really a reality that we come to as we read through the word of God and as we note the truth of the word of God. He commanded the Israelites that were bound in Egypt to separate from among the other lambs the one that is without spot and without blemish, so to speak. Why? Because he was going to sacrifice that particular lamb. 
And he said, listen, I'm not going to receive or accept that, which is not separate, distinct. While on earth, the Lord Jesus Christ was so bold to even identify the religious leaders of that particular day and that time as offspring of Satan if they were not yielded to the word of God. He thus distinguished between the children of the devil and the children of God. That's a pretty great distinction, isn't it? Pretty big separation he's drawing attention to. So there is a major separation that's been made in the Bible. And even today in our religious climate in which we live, there has to be elements here where we are separating ourselves, not for the sake of separation, but for the sake of, of, of being sanctified under the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God himself is the originator. He's the author of separation. Man, who are we not to follow that lead? We've got to follow his lead. So we began by expressing the principle of separation, the principle. And we said that every born again believer is sanctified and set apart unto God. And that's important to note. Whether or not, uh, you know, you're a guy or a girl or what nationality or race has nothing to do with it. The moment we come to Jesus Christ, every single last one of us are separated unto him. We are sanctified unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that, it's not about what you do, it's about what he did. Boy, how difficult is that for us to grasp and, and really wrap our minds around today in the world we live in? Uh, because we're taught that you get nothing without working for it. Well, I guess that's changing. But anyway, the fact is, is that that's really not true anymore. You get a lot without working today, and unfortunately too many are aware of that. But the fact is, is that we used to be taught at least, if you didn't work, you ain't going to eat. And the truth is, is that most people that, that are still of that mindset have a hard time believing in salvation is by grace through faith. Because they say, well, I have to do something to get it. Well, you're sanctified or set apart under the Lord Jesus Christ, not because of your effort or your works or my efforts and my works, but by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we note that. And so we saw there early on also that we were, as born again believers, were separated and set apart under God. And we saw that in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 9 through 11. And, and then in John 15, 13 through 20, we noted that we were in the world, but not of it. And boy, how, how, how important it is to realize that God intends us, expects us to be different, to be unique, to be set aside and set apart from the world. And so we want to talk a little bit about particulars today. So we know that we're to be separated. What areas are we to be separated in? Or what, what places in Scripture does God make some distinction or demand us to be unique and, and set apart unto Him? And so we want to look at the particulars today. We noted the principle of separation. Now let's consider the particulars of separation as we move forward this service. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you again for these that have gathered. And Lord, our heart, our desire is to grow and to learn from Your Word. We wish, Father, to be better for having come tonight. We want to know you better and we want to be able to apply the truths of the word of God in a more effective manner. Lord, may you be glorified now. May you take your scripture and drive home these truths. Help us, Father, just to be very, very con conscious of the fact that we need to be distinct and different from the world in which we live. And Lord, not in the sense that we are so peculiar in the sense of being weird or, or just eccentric, but that we are truly unique for you in your way in a way, Father, that draws attention to you in a positive light. Lord, we love you now. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, turn there if you would please, verse 15 through 16. Again, as we set the stage for the ideas of the particulars of separation, notice again, just in general, what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. <clears throat> 
In 1 Peter chapter 1, we read in verse 15, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Now again, the word conversation, we've noted it a number of times as we preach and teach around here. The word conversation doesn't simply mean the way we converse or speak. It has to do with our actions as well. It's, it's, it's what we do, our conversation. And so it's important to realize that. When he says here, be ye holy for I am holy, he says, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. He's not just talking about what we say, but how we live and what we do and the whole aspect of our being. And so in, in we are to be holy in all manner of conversation. Why? Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. Now, when the Lord Jesus Christ speaks of holiness, I got to believe that when we say that Christ was holy, uh, that he was without iniquity, I believe that it means, in our mind at least, that when he spoke, he never did anything or said anything wrong in that regard. He, he, never, he never cursed, if you will. He never used his tongue to hurt or to harm people. Uh, there was always a purpose and a reason, and it was always a justified reason. And the fact is, is that what he did is as well holy. We wouldn't question, well, only in his speech was he holy. He was holy in his speech and his actions, his attitude across the board. And may I say that that's exactly what he's asking us to do then. He's, it says, be ye holy for I am holy. So it's not enough to just simply say, well, I don't cuss anymore. But I do have a problem with, no, he's saying, be holy. Not just in your speech, but in your behavior and your actions and your attitudes. And so we're to be holy. Now, if we're going to be holy, that's going to be quite a contrast to the unholy attitude and actions of the world in which we were saved from. And therefore, there's going to be a noticeable difference and a noticeable change in our life. We will certainly be distinct because we are now children of the king. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now again, as a result of that transformation that took place and that change in our lives, and literally we've been moved from this world and the course of this world to now being set, of course, uh, uh, in the heavenlies, seated at the right hand of the Father with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we are citizens of heaven now. And as a result of that, he says, listen, it's going to be obvious. It's going to be clear here. He says, and I want you to recognize this as well. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. There's going to be, as we said already, great distinction between the two. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe somebody in your past, once you trusted Christ, said something like this to you. I don't know what your problem is. You're just so weird now. Now listen, I'm not talking about weird like you go around wearing weird hats. Or, or you wear floods up to here. And you walk around going, how's it going, everybody? How's, how's, it, how's it happening? I mean, I'm so glad to see everybody today. And they're like, boy, you are weird, dude. We're not talking about that kind of weird, Okay. We're talking not that kind of peculiar. We're talking about a difference like you used to be out there in the world and you used to talk like the rest of the people. You used to act like everyone else at work. You used to go to the places they used to go and you used to be comfortable around the things they were comfortable around, looking at and hearing and seeing the things they were comfortable with. You don't listen to those jokes anymore that you used to. And things are just a little bit more uh, different than they used to be. And people look at you and say, man, you're weird now. You used to fit in, but now you don't. That's a peculiar people. 
That's a peculiar people in the world's eyes. See, the believer should not be normal in the world's eyes. Now, again, I I get what we're saying. And and we live in a culture where everybody wants to be accepted. And we act like, well, if we're going to reach the world, then we have to be like the world. That is not true. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't go in and sit with sinners and, and have dinner and try to reach them. But he didn't go there to fellowship with them. He went there to evangelize them. Do you notice the difference? Jesus didn't go in there to hang out with the sinners. He went in there to reach out to the sinners. And we've got to reach out. So we do have to go into where they're at. We've got to reach out to sinners. But the truth is, is boy, the Bible's very clear here. We have been, a, we have been chosen out, in a sense. We are a separate, we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Boy, what a wonderful priesthood it is, by the way. A holy nation, a peculiar people. That ye should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You start praising the Lord in the world in which we live. They'll think you're weird. They'll think you're weird to some degree. They'll be like, can't you just, I mean, why do you always have to say praise the Lord? Why do you always have to honor God? What? Can't you leave him out of it? Nope, we can't. Sorry. Can't do it. So what are some of the particulars? What are some of these areas then that should be unique now? And, and I don't think you're, I'm going to tell you anything you don't know already, but we're going to look at some scriptures about it. But now that we've been taken off the course that we were once traveling, the children of the devil, and now we've been placed in the family of God, and we are citizens of heaven, what are some of the particulars of separation? Well, first of all, our speech should be different, Right? I mean, that makes sense, right? I mean, even in the passage we just read, he's talking about the fact that we should shoot forth the praises of him. That's different than what it used to be even. But notice over there in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Let's go all the way to the Old Testament here. We'll look up some verses here today. I'll tell you what. Let me get some help from the audience today, all right? Let me get some help from the audience. Um, And again, I'm going to ask you this. Again, I need a King James Bible, if you would, please. But uh, James chapter 3, verse 2. Who will read that one for me? James 3, 2. I, get, I got over here, James 3, 2. Who will read Matthew 26, 73 and 74? Matthew 26, 73 and 74. Right there, okay. Who will read Colossians 4, 6 for me? Colossians 4, 6. Okay, all the way in the corner. And then, Mr. Jurgen, would you read Isaiah 47, verse 1? Would you please do that? Verse 1 through 3. Isaiah 47, 1 through 3. Now, I've already forgotten who's supposed to read, so I hope you have it. Okay, so anyway, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11, we're all there right now for the most part. It says, you hear those pages turning? Hey, that's a wonderful sound. That's good. I like that, you know. People turning the word of God saying, let's see it for ourselves, you know. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Boy, I'll tell you what, we got to be careful how we speak about the Lord and how we use his name. Yeah. You know, I talked to a fellow the other day, door knocking, and he said he, he was a Jew. And uh, he, of course, in his mind, if you're Jewish, then you are of the Jewish faith. Now, he can't comprehend somebody being a Jew nationally, but not being a Jew religiously. Okay, he couldn't figure that out. But nonetheless, the fact is, is, that, is that he said, you know what, when we, we, don't, we, we leave the O out of God. G-D. Why? Because we can't even say the name God. It's so, it's so um, uh, holy. It's so 
pure. We don't call him God. It's G-D, he said to me. Why? Because we don't. And, and, and in the day, boy, I'll tell you what, when they used to write the word God in the, way back in the Old Testament, man, they used separate special pens and they made sure that it was unique and different. They were, I mean, it was very sacred to, to write the name of God, let alone say the name of God. And today we use God like a byword. We got people that are lost without Christ that still say, thank God. You know, and, and, and it's funny, isn't it? All you have to do is have somebody that's a sports uh, figure say something. I just want to thank God. As soon as we hear the word God, we go, man, they got to be a Christian. No, they don't. I'm telling you that we just, the word, the way we use the word today, we need to be careful. Now, I'm glad they're thanking the Lord. I'm glad they're thanking God out in public. Praise God for that. But my point being is just because we use the name of God doesn't mean we're using it correctly and using it right. And in this case, he says, boy, by all means, do not take the Lord thy God, the name of the Lord thy God in vain. James 3, 2, what's it say over there? Go ahead. Now, James chapter 3 is a tremendous passage when it comes to the tongue. And in that passage here, again, it says, for in many things we offend all. I'm going to tell you what, if we could cut our tongues out, we wouldn't offend hardly anybody. I mean, let's be honest. If we would just shut our mouths, what's the Bible say? If the Bible goes on to say, now listen, when you get into trouble and I get into trouble, it's usually because of that thing right there. Now, now here's the thing. The Bible says, even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And a man that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. What it's saying is, is that if you want to impress somebody, shut your mouth. Just stop. Don't open your mouth for a while. Just walk into a room and shut your mouth and listen to other people. And everybody will look at you and go, man, that, that, that guy or gal looks pretty sharp. Man, they seem like they got it going. They haven't said nothing stupid yet. I mean, really, that's basically what they're saying. I mean, God's trying to protect us with that. So here in this passage, he's saying, if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man. How important is the tongue then to God? How important is the tongue when it comes to believers? What we say reflects either positively or poorly on the master then. Boy, I'll tell you, that's, a, that's an amazing passage. Matthew 26, 73 and 74. Now here in this passage, we have Peter, right? I mean, the Lord Jesus has been taken and he's being uh, at this mock trial and all. And here's Peter now. He's been identified as one of the disciples. I, I mean, he's been identified. Surely thou also art one of them. And then I mean to tell you, he said, your speech betrayeth thee. I can tell the way you're talking. I can tell the way you're speaking that you're one of his. Now, I don't know if he was talking about, I think they're really giving him a dirty deal. I think they're doing a bad thing for the Lord. I don't think they're doing it right the way they should be doing I don't know why or how or what it's referring to exactly. But whatever his topic of conversation and his manner of speech was, it betrayed him to being one of the Savior. He was in a midst of a crowd that had nothing to do with the master. But he was obviously standing out like a sore thumb because of his lips and his tongue. And then, in order to somehow persuade this person to believe somehow that he was like the rest of the crowd, what does he do? 
he begins to curse and to swear. I know not the man. Now, I don't think that's the cursing and swearing. They left that out for a reason. Because it doesn't belong in the vocabulary of a believer. But notice how important, again, the speech is and how, how it identifies us as either being of the Lord Jesus Christ or not. Of being whether either in the family of Satan or in the family of God. See how your tongue distinguishes you and separates you. James chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. Did I give that to somebody? No? I know I did. Mr. Jurgen, did I give that to you? Oh, I did give you that one. And you know what? Isaiah's the, that's the next one. Hold on. I will look down to my notes and I got into the next one. So you hold on to that one, okay? So in James chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not, to so, so, not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him shew out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. I like there. Notice that again, his works. Now, I'm just saying this. We see here that even though uh, we're being warned in James, saying, listen, you can use your tongue for good or evil, bitter or sweet. But as a believer, don't let that happen. Don't you dare use that tongue in any other way. Don't you fall back into this old habits that you used to possess and the, the kind of speech and language you used to use. You got to be careful that you sound like a Christian because you are representing the king. We ought to be distinct and separate in our speech. What about our dress? In our dress, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Let's turn there. And then I want someone to turn to 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 10. 1 Timothy 2. Okay, Brother Cody. And then, of course, Mr. Jurgen's already got Isaiah 47. He's got 47, 1 through 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. We'll start there. It says, Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair, plating the hair, and of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of a great price. Now again, we're dealing with here with the, the adorning or the dressing of, of ladies. And he says, listen, there's a, to be a distinction between you and the world. There should be something unique about you. Now I'm just going to say, here in the passage again, there's this element of outward adorning. Drawing attention basically to self is what it's talking about. Okay, and God's saying when we become a child of the Lord, our goal should not be to draw attention to ourselves. Sometimes we get the idea that all that draws attention to ourselves is tight-fitting clothes, whether it be guys or girls. I know for me it's very difficult, even in a suit jacket, to hide my muscles. And so I feel very conscious about that all the time. And so I try to buy extra-large jackets. But the fact is, is that if we wear tight clothing and certain things like that, we can draw, we think that's what it means to draw attention. No, no, not at all. Let me tell you something. If today I pulled out from underneath the pulpit a big red nose... And I stuck it on my face right now. And I put my glasses over it. And I walked around looking like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer around here. And I was sitting up on that pulpit while the choir was singing. You know who would be getting all the attention? Me. People would be like, what is he doing? 
that, what, what, why, what, what is going on with him? He's got that big red schnoz on there. What is going on? Now listen, I know that sounds crazy, but listen, how we dress and how we, we appear to people matters. That's why it's important that we don't dress a certain way that draws attention to ourselves, whether it is promiscuous dress or whether it's just downright weird stuff. And how we look and how we appear says something about us. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Who's reading that? I didn't pick somebody. Oh, there I did. Yeah. Now, you're going to find the Bible when it starts talking a lot about clothing. Ladies, I'm sorry, but God does address a lot with ladies. You don't see much with the guys. I'm just going to be honest with you. You don't see it in the Bible much. And, you know, and I'm one of these guys that tries to be fair. See, you know, we say to our teachers, you know what? You've got to wear a dress, ladies, if you're going to be in our uh, teaching or if you're going to be serving in, in what we call ministry capacity. You know, so ministry attire is uh, ladies with dresses, with dresses that go to the bottom of the knee, that kind of thing, or skirts that go to the bottom of the knee. We don't like, you know, sleeveless stuff so that when you bend over, people can look down inside. Things like that. We don't want a bunch of cleavage, all that. Get that. We got that. But then I'll say to the guys, guess what? If the ladies have to wear dresses, you get to wear a tie. We want you to look professional and we want you to look sharp and we want you to be distinct as well because I I believe in being fair. You know, I think sometimes ladies get the bad rap. You know, these guys are running around with all these baggy looking clothes and all that stuff and the ladies, we go, oh, look at her. I think that's ridiculous. Why, Why do only women supposed to dress up nice? Why should men not look the way they ought to look too? I believe that we all are Christians and we all represent Christ. No matter what it is, where we're at, what we're doing. So in this case, we're going to see the same thing again. The outward's the key. How do we appear? How do we look before the world? Do we look distinct and different from the world we came from? You know how it used to be and how you used to dress when you used to go out on the town at night before you were saved? How are you dressing now? Do you still look like you're going out on the town at night? You shouldn't look like you used to look in that regard. We ought to look distinct and different, both men and women. It doesn't matter. Isaiah 47, 1 through 3. Now, again, when we look at Scripture, a lot of times people say, well, what, what's nakedness in the Bible? I believe it's defined for us here. I believe God defines nakedness. And I just want to be clear. It, notice it says, make bare the leg, uncover the thigh. I believe when the thigh is uncovered biblically, then he refers to that as thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Listen, that's the biblical definition of it, okay? So why, you say, why would we expect folks to cover up at least below here and, 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 and all of that? Why, why even with the men in their shorts, do we, you know, those old 1970s uh, basketball shorts, you know, up to here? Let me tell you, fellas, that's not very modest. Listen, I don't think guys ought to be running around in a pair of shorts that high. You know, first of all, our legs aren't looking that good, fellas. But, but, but the fact is, we need to be careful. Biblically, we set some standard here. So we need to be careful how we dress. We ought to look different and unique. 
should be separate from the world. That's all there is to it. So we talk about dress and we look into those things and we say, listen, it's not just about modesty. It's about just how we represent, how we look. We should not draw attention to ourselves in the way we dress. I'm not going to wear something that is so modern and so different and unique that all of a sudden, I mean, I could wear a jumpsuit, you know what I mean? And, and say that this is the new fad. And I got this whole jumpsuit on, you know, it looks like one of them baby things that got, you know, little feet, feet in them and all that stuff. And I come up here and say, this is the new thing, you know, and I'm up here going, let's take our Bibles and turn. You'd be like, dude, look stupid. You know, I mean, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And you know what? I'd be drawing attention to myself. Biblically, that's the problem with dress. You cannot draw attention to yourself. If you're drawing attention to yourself, you're not drawing attention to the one who saved you. And that's what God's point is. Let's do our best to draw attention to him. Now listen, there is no way in the world, and I, and I preached a message on this years ago called The Curse of Beauty. Let me tell you something. When you are a beautiful person, say you have a lovely face, you're just a pretty good-looking guy, I, I'm telling you, it's very hard. I, I wrote a book on it. It's, it's very difficult. But the fact is, is that when you're in that position, it's very difficult. You want to know why? Because you draw attention to yourself. People just can't, you, it's not you doing it. God gave the face to you. God gave that shape to you. God gave you that. And I'm telling you something, it's tough on people that are that good looking. It can almost be a curse at times. And you know what? God's saying to us, we should not go out of our way. Don't try to draw attention. If you draw attention because you're just the way God created you, you can't help that. But let me tell you something, be careful. I mean, I run into this auditorium right now. If somebody come running in and starts screaming, I wonder who you'd all be looking at. The person that's screaming. Your attention would be right over to there. Why? Because they would be doing something to draw attention to themselves. Ah! You'd be like, gone. Now, let me ask you, would that be godly? Absolutely not. Because why? They're breaking the service. They're causing us to lose our attention on the word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're turning to them, right? Well, what's the difference if it's at work or if it's at school or if it's wherever it might be, the grocery store? Why do we want to draw attention to ourselves? We ought to be drawing attention to him. Charles Finney, he, he had a story once. And, and I'll tell you what, the old timers were much more, they, they were serious about this stuff. I mean, they were serious about it. Uh, there was a church, he, he was talking about it, and, he, and, and uh, the church was worldly in attire, is how he starts it off. His, this is him talking in one of his books. He says, the church was worldly in attire and conformed to the dress of sinful designs. You know what he's saying? They were, they were in modern dress, modern attire. They looked like the world looks. After one of Finney's sermons, Dr. Lansing arose and pled with the, his people to turn to God. Well, that's a good thing, right? Preacher got up and said, you got to get right with God. Let's turn to Jesus Christ. Let's get right with the Lord. Finney stopped him and said, Mr. Lansing, I do not believe such remarks from you can do any good while you wear a ruffled shirt and a gold ring and your wife and the ladies of your family sit dressed as leaders in the fashions of the day. <laughs> okay. Wow. That'd be fun if an evangelist did that to me. Dr. Lansing took the rebuff. He threw himself from the pulpit and wept like a child. The people dropped their heads and uncovered, uh, excuse me, dropped their heads and under the moaning of their sobs, the spirit moved upon them. Public confession by the church was made as their pastor led them saying, if these things are an offense, I will not wear them. Isn't that something? 
How do you think most pastors respond to that kind of rebuke today? I'm just saying in those days, and it ought to be very similar, we ought to be very careful how we dress. We shouldn't want to look like the latest fads. We shouldn't be rushing out to try to look like the world. That shouldn't be our goal. And that's one of the big raps. And when I was a teenager, it was like, oh, y'all, you know, in my day, years and years ago, it was one of those things preachers preached against wearing John Lennon wire rim glasses. Now, most of you don't even know, unless you're older, John Lennon wire rim glasses. You're like, what are you talking about, wire rim glasses? They used to wear wire rim glasses all the time. It was the thing in the day. Preachers would get up and go crazy. Don't wear your wire rim glasses. That's just the world. Don't wear your wire rim glasses. That's the world. And we'd all be like, you guys are nuts. You've got to get with the program, dude. You're too old, man. You need to retire. <laughs> but you want to know something? They kind of figured it out, I think. Yeah. It wasn't that we, the wire rim glasses that were inherently wrong. That wasn't the issue. It was that they represented something that was unscriptural and, and, uns, and, and ungodly. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, we, were trying to, we were trying to mimic someone that hated God. That doesn't make sense to us as a believer. We shouldn't want to follow after people that are not in our camp, so to speak, that don't believe the word of God, that don't practice the truths of the word of God. Why do we want to look and act like somebody that hates God? And that's the point. And so even in our dress, we have to be careful. Let's be careful what we're really saying with how we dress. What about attitude? We don't talk about this one much. But I'm going to tell you something. This one to me is probably as big or bigger than any of them. This one really hits the nail on the head. This is where where the rubber meets the road. If if we're going to have an issue in our Christian life, it begins with our attitude. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. Some of you are going, boy, I hope he calls on some more because I didn't get my chance to read. Eh, Not enough to read yet. We're just going to look at a few verses today. So I appreciate you guys that read and appreciate uh, those that wanted to read and couldn't. Maybe one of these other times we'll get to you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. Attitude. Our outlook and our attitude, so important. He says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. What a spirit. What an attitude there that that is. Amazing. Here we have a believer that is singing and lifting up the word of God in song that takes the word of God and says, man, I tell you what, I love Jesus and I love God. I love the, the sacrifice that was made for me. I love when the choir sings and the specials are up here. Man, it just blesses my heart to hear the congregation singing. I can't tell you what it does. The fact is today is it's a wonderful thing when we have a good spirit and a good attitude and we're singing praises unto the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing that is. And he says, giving thanks Always. You want to know why usually we have a bad attitude? Because we got nothing to be thankful for. You say we don't? Of course we do. But we don't feel like it. Or we've been somehow deceived by Satan to believe there is nothing good going on in our life or our family or our, our world today. Let me tell you something. When we went out and knocked those doors yesterday, to my knowledge, nobody bowed their head and got saved. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't know about you, but I got pretty fired up. I loved it yesterday. 
We had a great time out there knocking doors, just obeying the Lord, hanging out with one another, serving the Lord Jesus Christ side by side. Man, I'll tell you what, that made me excited. A good attitude in the hearts and lives of the people that went. We had a good spirit on that bus. Boy, I'll tell you what, there's nothing like a good attitude. Boy, I'll tell you what, you walk into the the workplace with a good attitude and a good spirit, it'll make a difference. You young people go off into the public school system with a good spirit and a good attitude, it'll make a difference. When everybody else is complaining about the test and the teachers and all the junk that's going on, you say, well, you know, I don't know. I'm just going to do my homework. I'm just going to do my work. And I'm going to thank the Lord that I'm getting an education. Praise God. What's your problem? Well, I'm just a Christian. I believe the Bible. Man, I'll tell you right now, a good attitude goes a long ways. Let me tell you, your teacher will appreciate it. Your mom and dad will appreciate it. Your pastor and your leaders will appreciate it. Everybody loves a good attitude. But it's hard to find them today. Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Good spirit. We walk into church and we're thanking God and we're praising the Lord. We're rejoicing because of the many blessings God's given us. Oh, we got a pain in the hip and our back's aching and maybe we got a little bit of a headache or we got something going on. But man, I'll tell you what, none of that outweighs the rejoicing in our heart. Thanking God for what he's done for us. Proverbs 7, 10 through 11 says, And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and stuttle of heart. Watch this. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Look at the difference in the spirit here. The spirit here is she is loud and stubborn. Let me tell you what. We got some loud and stubborn teenagers. But before we jump on that bandwagon, adults, let me tell you something. There is nobody more loud and stubborn than adults who think they deserve to say no to authority. Well, I've paid my dues. I've been there. Nobody's going to tell me now what to do. If I want to go to church, I'll go. If I want to go to the activity, I'll go. If I want to go out soon, I'll go. If I want to do this or if I want to do that, that's on me. Nobody tells me what to do. I'll do what I want. Good attitude. Good attitude. I wonder where our children are learning this attitude. We got to be careful that we don't adopt a negative, critical spirit. Man, God is so good to us. How can we not say thank you to him? And rejoice in the Lord. We don't want to be like this harlot and a stubborn and a loud and not abiding in her house, not content. No, we don't want that. We want to be content and we want to be, be praising the Lord. It's interesting, and I'm not going to dwell on this, but the way I dress obviously affects how I feel. As we see that connection here. So when I'm in a nice suit over here preaching the word, wearing my, over, my, my coat and, and a nice pair of shiny shoes, which they're not shiny right now. I've been noticing they've gotten pretty wore out. I've got to get find some kind of, you know how you buff them up real good? Never had the old brown shoe polish, you know. I've only ever had black. Black goes with everything. Right, fellas? I mean, who needs all these color shoes? You've got a pair of black shoes that go with everything. But, you know, the wife says they look good, so, you know, I'm making things happy, sweet. I got a good attitude. I just obey. <laughs> but, boy, it makes a difference how I feel. I walk into church and, and look at you, you. You dress up nice and you're ready to, uh, to, to praise the Lord. I don't know about you, but I feel a lot different when I'm in a pair of jeans and T-shirt than I do when I'm all dressed up. I feel different. It affects my outlook. It affects my feeling. By the way, you know what else it does? Walk down the hall sometime at the grocery store, not the grocery store, at the, the, the hospital in a suit or in a tie. 
Even just a tie. See how different people look at you and respond to you. Hey, listen, the world recognizes things. I'm just saying our staff, you know, unless they're doing some kind of physical labor, they're required to wear a tie and a shirt. Why? Because I want them to look professional. I want them to represent well the church as well as the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, listen, I don't go everywhere in a tie. That's crazy. I'm not like the old, the old time preachers that cut their grass with a suit on. I don't do that stuff. I'm going to tell you that now. But I think there's a time and a place for everything, you know. And boy, how you feel matters. It matters. And so your, act, your attitudes are so important. My attitude is so important. And we need to be different than the world in the attitude. So different we should be from the world. Isn't it sad when you know lost men and women who have a better spirit than some brothers and sisters in Christ? Isn't that sad? That, that should never be the case. Young people, one of your greatest temptations will be to have a good attitude towards your parents and toward authority as you grow up. That's one of the most difficult things for you to face. One of your greatest temptations is that attitude toward authority. Listen, don't allow the devil to deceive you into believing somehow that you have a right to have a bad attitude. If you name the name of Christ, by all means, reflect that in your spirit and your attitude. I don't care who's negative and critical around you. Don't let it rub off on you. And then, of course, let's face it, our actions are important, aren't they? What, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 talking about some particulars. We've talked about just a couple of things so far, but we said, listen, it's important when we talk about our speech and our dress and our attitude, but what about our actions just in general? Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. And my favorite, because I like this motion. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Our actions. I mean, it's so important. Just everything in general as people listen to us, as they they watch us, as they observe us. Our, Our music and what we listen to. What we read and what we, 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 we focus our attention on, the things we view on the television or on the internet, our actions speak louder than words. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Amen. Say that ten times fast. Peter Piper picked a... Okay, but anyway, you know what I'm saying. So it's important how we, what, we, what, we, what we do and what we say and how we say it and just how people are seeing us and viewing us. Let your light so shine before men. They may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Then what about our thoughts? They ought to be distinct. They ought to be separate from the world's. Boy, I'll tell you what, again, we, we, we miss out. Again, separation from most people's perspective is always physical. But let me tell you, our attitude is important. And it, it, it also, it's, it's a part of this thought process. It's a part of our mind. And like I say, everything originates out of our thoughts and our mind anyway. 
So we have to be very careful. In Philippians 4, 8, the Bible says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. He says, boy, your mind ought to be separate from the world. You've been, you've been sanctified unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Now sanctify your thought life. Think on the right things. Don't dwell on the wrong things. Boy, there's so many negative things in the world that we can dwell on today. If we're not careful, we can get so discouraged hearing all the, 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 the negativity and all the, 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 the horrible things going on in our world, whether it's people being harmed and hurt, whether it's just folks slamming and slurring other people. It's just always something. And you have to be careful, and so do I, that we do not think on those things. You can't help but see a billboard maybe, but you, can't, you don't have to focus on it. You can't help but hear somebody say something at work negative or critical about someone, but you don't have to focus on it. You don't have to allow yourself to think on those things. And as believers, our thought life ought to be sanctified under the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're thinking about things that would not please God or that don't draw us closer to him or make us better for him, then we ought to stop thinking about them. We got to be careful. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that what you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, uh, unto God, which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what mind that you may prove it as that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Boy, we need to have a sanctified thought life. There's no way we can be right with God and not right in the mind. Boy, that's important. You know why? We we look at some things, and i got to be careful because I'm going to throw, I I have a portion of our lesson for the singles, and so all the singles, put your hands over your ears for a second because next week I'll I'll mention this probably. But the truth is, is that, is it, I just forgot, so singles, don't worry, you take your hands off now, because I just forgot what I was going to say. But, but the fact is, is that we have to be so careful with what we think about all the time. We get the idea again that it's all about this and that and everything we can point to. Man, I'm telling you what, the biggest problem we have is up here. This is where it all originates. This is the real problem. You want to be right with God? Get started with this. This gets straight, guess what? The heart will fall right into place. Now, there is the, there, in, in, in Proverbs 16, 3, there's the opposite of that, and I can't spend time on it, but the Bible says, commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. So there's a two-edged sword here. You, 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 unless your thought life's right, your actions will be messed up. But then again, if you want your thought life right, do the right thing, and it'll reprogram your thoughts. I don't know how it all works, but God says it does. So the fact is, is that you need to focus on doing right when you don't feel like it, so that you ultimately feel like it. And that, that's what he's telling us. And someone says, well, I'll just, I'll, you know, I, I can't get victory over this. Then, then force yourself to get victory. Saturate yourself with the word of God. Focus yourself on Jesus Christ. Keep looking into that mirror and see his perfection. And you look long enough into the eyes of Jesus Christ, and some of that's going to rub off on you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Again, the attitude. How important is that? And so some of the particulars. Those are just some of those things. In all those areas, we ought to be distinct and different from the world in which we were saved from. There are so, there's so much potential in separation. And I'm just going to touch them. Here they are. It yields souls. In 1 Peter 3.1. It brings glory to God. 
in Matthew 5.16. It encourages greater love toward each other in John 15.16-19. It ensures blessings from God, Psalms chapter 1, 1-3. And it reserves rewards in heaven one day. Yeah, separation does. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, and 1 John 2, 8. I'm glad service is over. Thank you for the, the alarm. I needed that. We have to close. 2 Thessalonians says this in closing. And if any man obey not our word, I, really, I'll tell you what, I, I'm ready to close. I really am. It's, it's warm up here for me. Some of you ladies probably need a blanket. But I feel extremely warm right now. And I'm like, boy, I need to end this right now. So that came at a perfect time for me. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Brethren, in Galatians 6, 1 through 5, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Malachi 3.18, Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. May I tell you today that we're going to live a life, and truthfully, the fact is, is that we need to be separated unto the Lord. If a brother or sister falls, if a brother or sister makes a bad decision, if they fo- go walk off into sin, my friend, we ought to be the first ones there to try to reach out to them, try to, try to rescue and restore them. That ought to be what we're doing. But my friend, the other side of this is we have to be very careful that we don't allow ourselves to dabble in sin or in the sin of the world. Be very careful that we are not only sanctified under the Lord Jesus Christ through our salvation, but we are sanctified in our daily walk with Christ from the world unto the Lord Jesus. Boy, may God help us to live a separated life that honors and glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time that we've had together in the Word of God. We ask, Lord, that you would just uh, continue to speak to our hearts and help us. Lord, there's nothing, Father, that um, is so difficult about understanding the Word. The difficulty is in applying it at times. And Lord, help us, Father, not to desire the uh, accolades or the acceptance of the world above the acceptance and favor of you. May we want to please you first in our lives, always. Lord, help us to reach out to a world that's in need, but not find ourselves, Father, partaking in the sin. Help us to live a life that is distinct and separate from the world that you saved us out of. And Lord, may we honor you in our lips, in our life, and with our attitude. May we always, Father, be sanctified in our thoughts and our actions. We love you. We'll thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's